0: We are so grateful that you are joining us today. We as a community pray that the Lord would refresh you as you hear today's message. If you would like to support and further the work here in the city, please visit us at www.oasischurchchicago.com or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Now, here's Pastor JP with today's message. Go ahead, church. You can be seated this morning. Thank you, worship team. Such a powerful moment in God's presence so far. I'm thankful for worship. Amen? Amen. You know, Pastor Jordan said it right. There's two times, when you want to and when you don't. And um, we're a loud church. (laughs) We got loud music. You know, when you know you've won a victory, or let me say it this way, when you know the victory's won for you, you're not quiet about it, right? I, I've, I've, you know, as a sports guy my whole life, I was never quiet when we won a game. I was like, good job, guys. Yeah, it's great. See you next time. Like, you lose your mind, right? You go crazy. I want to encourage this church that the victory is won for us. We don't, have, we don't have to say that on Easter Sunday. We can say it today. Like, the victory is won for us, so we celebrate loud, we worship him loud, we 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 scream loud, and it's not for, for us to, to to hear how good we are, because trust me, I, I sing in very much out of key. <laughs> but it's because the victory's won for us. So when you have a revelation that the victory's been won for you, that you don't have to be who you used to be, that Jesus claimed your life for eternity, you can shout and you can praise. And you can get loud even when you don't feel like it. Because guess what? There's going to be more times you don't feel like it than there are times that you feel it. And in those moments when you don't feel like it, press in. Go harder. Scream a little louder. Right? I'm preaching to somebody today. We'll keep going here. Thank you, team, so, so much. Um, This morning, I I was going to, I've been wrestling all week. Can I say that to you guys? I've been wrestling all week with this message and um, I was with the team for a couple days, and even up there, uh, being away and kind of just shutting off and saying, God, would you have me to speak? I was talking to a few of the people, and I, I said, quote, and I, I'm not a guy that hides anything, And so if you're new to this church, this is just who you get. Um, I, I said, I'm wrestling with this because I, I don't want to preach this. <laughs> I, this message this morning, uh, I, I was thinking of how we could move past balcony versus the battlefield. I, I, you know, I've pressed in and I've preached as much as I think I could out of chapter 11. And the Lord just spokely, spoke softly to me in a, a disciplinary way. Huh, we don't say that much in church. He disciplined me. He says, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to keep reading verse chapter 12, JP? You don't want to read chapter 12? I said, I don't want to read chapter 12. Chapter 11 awesome, and I can create a really good sermon off the chapter 11. Actually, two sermons, and they were really encouraging and really helpful, but I, I don't want to touch chapter 12. He said, you need to ch- touch chapter 12. I said, but God, there's stuff in here that, like, if we just read this story, I don't have an hour, two hours, three hours to articulate everything that happened in this story. I, I don't want people to walk out of here and say, that is how I know God to be. I knew it. Can I, can I say something here this morning? I've prayed all week that wisdom would fill the gaps, okay? So everything that I'm not able to teach out of what I'm about to read, I pray that the Holy Spirit fills the gaps this morning. And we get out of this what the Holy Spirit, I believe, has imparted in me that we can get to you and encourage each other and move forward and walk out this life that we are called to on the battlefield. So this is Balcony versus the Battlefield, part three. And I subtitle this, Restoration Comes with Repentance. Restoration comes with repentance. I got a chunk of Scripture. I'm going to read the story. It should be up on the screen, 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 29. Hello. We're going to read the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. We're going to read the Bible. (laughs) What if I, so, verse 1, the Lord. I'm just going to read it that slow. I'm kidding. Um, So, The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. David has fallen. David fell to Bathsheba. He sinned. He didn't go to the battlefield. He stayed on a balcony. And fast forward, some theologians believe it's a couple weeks, some think it's months past the moment that that happened, and this is where we pick it up. To tell David this story, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew. it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David is a prophet. David is speaking prophetically. Or, sorry, sorry. Nathan is speaking prophetically to David. Okay? And he's sharing the story, and what this story is referring to is what David just did. You with me? David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stolen for having no pity. Then Nathan dropped the bomb and said to David, Yo, bro, you are that man. Ouch. 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 You are that guy. The Lord, the God of Israel, and this is where I said wisdom fills the gaps, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah's. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to your own. David's life is flashing before his eyes. God is a righteous God. In this church, I will not proclaim anything else. He's a righteous God. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Wisdom fill the gaps. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. Nathan replied, yes. (laughs) You know, you ever go to someone and tell them you did something wrong, (laughs) and you want them to say, no, you're good. (laughs) You ever be like, yo, I did this. You're you're good. Come here. Let me hold you. Let me coddle you. Nathan's just like, yeah, you, you did. Because see, in a family of love and where the spirit of God is, there's freedom, and freedom can't happen unless there's honesty. Okay, so I'm just going to preach. Yes, but the Lord, this is the good news, has forgiven you. Just in that moment, all that stuff was just said. David says, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan says, yes, but you have been forgiven. We're going to get there. And you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. Guys, pause. I have asked multiple pastors. I have sought counsel on this all week. I don't have time to dissect this. I wish I did. Guys, this is why I didn't want to preach this message. Let me just say this to you. I Don't have all the time. There are things about God that we just can't explain in one moment or one sermon. We trust his sovereignty. Okay? I read this story, and I know, we know what it feels like to lose a child. Okay? We know. So I I, I just got to say, God, fill the gaps here. Trust you to, so we with, we with me? After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and laid all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with him, but he refused. David is mourning. David is fasting. David is weeping for Jesus, for God the Father, to have mercy. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him he wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened is the child dead he asked yes they replied he is dead then David got up from the ground washed himself put on lotion and changed his clothes crazy scene he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord right after his son was killed that's what I'm talking about when you don't feel like worshiping God because you think you've got stuff in your life get up put your clothes on put some lotion on your body go worship the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. I'm almost done. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was living, you wept and refused to eat, but now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord would be gracious to me and let the child live, but why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord has commanded. Almost done. This is the longest scripture I have ever read in church. Meanwhile, Joab was fighting against Reba. Pause. Chapter 11. It said, when kings go out to war, David stayed back, and he sent his man, Joab, to go fight where? Is it up there? Rabah, to go capture it. Of Amon, and he captured the royal fortifications. Joab sent messengers to tell David, I have fought against Rabah and captured its water supply. Now bring the rest of the army and capture the city. Otherwise, I will capture it and get credit for the victory. So David gathered the rest of the army, and went to Reba, where he belonged from the beginning. And he fought it and captured it. Fought it, and he captured it. The battlefield where he always belonged, the Lord restored him. Jesus, today, I pray in this short time that you speak to us, that you help us, that you allow this message to go forth, and that, Father, we will realize and we will come to the knowledge, full knowledge, that restoration through you is through a repentive life. So, Father, I pray for repentance to fall in this place by your Spirit's power. God, I pray for people that have been in this thing for far too long, that have allowed their hearts to get hard. God, speak to them softly. Show them your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen, amen, amen. As a child growing up, I had to say sorry often <laughs> to my parents, to my siblings, and my parents were always people that made sure that we apologized. Do you have parents that make sure that you apologize to your siblings? We, we, they went so far as to, I felt at least, that they were always around the corner right when I was about to do something stupid. Like, I just felt like my parents were literally right around the corner with their ear turned, ready to catch me. It was just the way it was, and, and they, would, they would always be there right when it happened, and they would grab me, or they'd grab my brother and me, or me and my sister, mostly me and my sister, and they would grab us, and they would put us on the couch, and they would say, you guys need to stop this, you need to cut this out, you need to stop the fighting, you need to stop the bickering, you need to apologize to one another. Well, let me tell you this, church. I was not saved or sanctified and I was definitely not going to apologize first. (laughs) And neither was she. (laughs) You want to think that I'm a little crazy? My sister is like this tall and she is nuts. We would have to sit on the couch, my parents would sit us on the couch and they would say, it is time to apologize to one another. Look at each other in the face and apologize. Nope. Then the next move was, okay. Well, until you apologize, grab her hand. Alexis, grab his hand. Hold hands on the couch. And for however long you want, you're going to hold hands until you apologize. I'm telling you, we had stretches of two, three, four hours. Oh, it's true. Talk to my parents. Well, I'm just gripping her. She's gripping me. She's digging her nails into my head. I'm digging her nails. And finally, finally, the Lord of God of heaven armies breaks in and overwhelms us with forgiveness and love. And we look at each other and we say, we're sorry. We're sorry. I I look. And my parents sometimes, I said, were you just waiting for that so you could remember these moments? And then I, I, I always, like I'm a guy that's visual and I think this way with God. I think sometimes we have this, this perception of God, that he's like waiting right around the corner, that when we mess up, when we fall, when we sin, he's just waiting right around the corner to come out and say, gotcha, you better sit here and you better apologize. You better sit here and tell me how sorry you are. Does anybody ever think this about God? Can, can I just have maybe two of us today? Thank you. Because I, I think this way sometimes with God. That I, I know right, like, oh, it, he's just waiting, he's waiting, we wait. I fell, I fall into temptation, I, I haven't done what I, and he's just there, and now it's time to discipline me, it's time to punish me. Can I be honest, church? There's a difference with God between punishment and consequences. This story is not David's punishment to what he did. This is consequences to the sin that David did. If we don't catch this, we're going to miss this whole story. See, God is not a God that wants to punish you. Okay. God is not, this is, I'm going to install an amen button right here. God is not a God that wants to punish you. But he is a righteous God. And he cannot look at sin. He, He can't how holy he is. It's his character. It's his nature. But he wants you to fight and overcome sin. But when you sin, there's consequences sometimes. See, David's consequence was a child. David's consequence was he missed the battlefield. David's consequences now is he's a king and he's got to explain himself and he's got to go before the prophet. There are consequences. Are you with me this morning? We have to catch this, that God is not saying, hey, in order to be repentive and have restoration, in order to have restoration, you got to be repentant because you are going to get punished by me. That's not God. He wants to restore you. And the only way that restoring comes is through Correction. And I want all of us, this is why I said this is a quiet day today. I want every one of you to walk in the abundant life of Jesus Christ. I want every one of you to walk in the fullness of God. And sometimes we are people and we fall. And when we fall, what are we looking to? What are we saying to God? Are we running and hiding in the corner? Are we getting before God and saying, God, I've sinned, I've fallen. Because let me say this. I believe this. I'm giving you the end of the message right now. When that happens, restoration happens in one moment. One moment. One moment. He's not like, y'all, you better apologize better than that. Ha- parents ever said that to your kids? that You didn't mean that. I'm already saying that to Titus. I'm like, you didn't mean that. He's looking at me like, what are you talking about, dude? No, God's not saying that. He's just saying, hey, my arms are open wide. Just come. I want to restore you. I want to put you back to the battlefield. Get off the balcony and get back in the fight. So how do we, how do we live this life of, of restoration through repentance? Well, I got four points. I'm going to get through them all. The first is this. In order to get back to the battlefield, in order to, let me, let me say it this way, in order to stay in the fight, the first is this. you got to have a clear picture of who and where you are. Okay, You have to have a clear picture of who and where you are. Nathan said in verse 7 to David, you are that man. David, right before this, he, 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 was, he was fighting. He listened to the story, and, and he gets so upset. He gets so angry, and he's like, yo, whoever that was, whatever whoever did that to that person, they should be killed because, man, how crazy is that? How wrong is that? Man, 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 look at that. Can we be honest, church? The reason some of us aren't getting back on the battlefield is because we're more concerned about what other people are doing than what we're doing. We're more concerned about other people's sin than our sin. I'm preaching this morning. This doesn't feel good. This is not a good, like, feel-good message. But this is the truth. We are so concerned about the world and what they're doing. Look at the world. How dare they do that? They are the world. They don't have the truth that you have. So pray for them. Love them. But better yet, stop comparing yourself to another Christian. Well, I'm not doing that sin. Oh, it's real. I don't even know what that is. Is that a a thing anymore? Attitude. (laughs) Attitude. Oh, do do you see what they're doing? Well, I'm here in a prayer meeting, and they're out there in the world, and they call themselves Christians. Yeah, but what are you doing? And where are you at today? Where is your heart today? Who are you? today. David was angry. He was so angry. He was so mad. He was, he was just overwhelmed with anger about a story that was actually talking about himself. Because why? We don't like to confront actually where we are and who we really are. We don't. You know, we have a rule. Pastor Jordan, Pastor Andrew and I, and Pastor Jordan implemented this to us. Can I just share some insight here? We have this rule called 90-10. It's the best thing that's ever happened to our relationship, as leaders, as friends. It's the 90% that everybody tells someone. Like like when you wanna have a conversation or a confrontation or a moment, you gotta, you gotta help somebody. You tell them the 90%, but then you leave out that 10%. Because if you said that 10%, it might hurt their feelings, it might make them overwhelmed, they might not be ready to receive it, you could have a major blowout, all that stuff, right? You, ever, you with me? We share just a little bit or just enough, and then we don't share the 10%. We have a rule that where he could come to me and say, pastor, are you ready for the 10%? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm perfect. I said, are you ready for the 10? And if I'm not ready, I gotta go and I gotta pray and I gotta get my heart softened and I come back. We have a rule. We have a rule that we come back and I say, I'm ready for the 10. Because if we can't be honest with where we are and who we really are, you'll never be the real you. See, Christians mask it. Christians are the best at masking. You know what I preach about the world? They don't mask Jack. They don't. I love talking to people of the world. Why? Because they're real. I don't like talking to Christians sometimes. Why? Because you ain't real. And let me say this. The church has created that culture. Church has created this culture where you can't be real with yourself. You can't be honest with yourself. You can't tell where you're at in life because if you tell someone where you're really at in life, they're going to be like, oh, that's too messy. Guess what? This church is always going to be filled with messes because the grace of God heals and restores messes. But we have to be honest with where we're at. Is this encouraging us this morning? David was like sitting there and Nathan says, that's you, bro. And I believe in that moment, the weight, hello, the weight of where David was at. The sin, the the, the trying to cover it up, the the trying to restore himself, fell. And David realized, whoa, I've gone this far. I've made this stuff happen this much. I've destroyed a family. Talk about a sin, destroyed, I I murdered a man. Whoa, whoa, okay, uh, you aren't in that position today, but where are you today? Where's your heart? You know what this is? This is just a heart assessment. This is a life assessment. Like, where are you today? What are you living for? Who are you really? Are you really the same person that you are here with your hands up in church, but when you walk out these doors, you're condemning people, you're speaking death over people, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're gossiping, but really, like, where are you and I today? Because we can't have restoration if we don't have honesty. We can't have restoration if we're not real. Guys, can we be real today before God? We're gonna pray for this. It's the first point. David chose his balcony life over his victorious life because he wasn't having an honest picture of where he was at. He Chose the balcony over the battlefield because he didn't wanna face who he really was. I, I believe something, this isn't theologically in there. So if you have a problem, email Pastor Andrew at Oasis Church Chicago. But I think in one moment, David had a a complete revelation. Like, yep, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at today. Peyton, can you come up and play, please? We're in a building where there's a boxing gym right below us. If you ever hear the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's what it is. Second thing. To get back on the battlefield, repentance has to be real. Repentance has to be real. Okay, I'm going to make a very much theological blanket statement here. I believe the moment that you confess with your mouth and you truly believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. Okay? I believe there are going to be Christians up in heaven that that, that we look at and go... I, I think Christians, let me say it this way. This will really better. I think Christians are going to look at me like, you made it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 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 okay. Like the moment that you confessed your sins before God, the moment you said, God, I am lost. I have, not served, I have not placed you as king and lord over my life. You are saved. That moment of repentance is the ultimate repentance. But I believe something. That the life of a believer is a life of daily repentance and renewal. Okay, and here's why. 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. When we sin, we lose our consciousness of forgiveness. When you sin, what is the first thing you think about? Not the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Shame, guilt, condemnation, floods. Am I preaching to somebody this morning? The first thing we don't think about when we fall is, oh, God is forgiving. That's not what we think about because Satan pounces. And he's like, you're condemned, you're never going to be forgiven. So we have to have a life of repentance and renewal so that we can not lose the consciousness of forgiveness in our sense of peace with God. So when we confess our sins by the work of the Spirit, we are reawakened to what Christ has done for us. This is an awesome place to say amen. When we say we are sorry, when we repent before God, we are woken to what he has done for us on the cross. We're not awoken to shame and to guilt. I am preaching to somebody in the room this morning that needs this. You are not awoken to that. You are awoken to the cross of salvation. Believers then continue to pray daily for forgiveness, not with the despair of the one who thinks he is lost, but in the confidence of justified and adopted children approaching a heavenly father who has declared them just in Jesus Christ. Go listen to that on the podcast. Because what I just said is truth. When we confess our sins, we're not experiencing new justification. You've been justified by Jesus Christ. What you're experiencing is, is a renewed application of the justification that you had in your life. Come on, this is helping. I'm like teaching theology here. I'm not a pastor who just yells all the time. But but repentance has to be real. Notice something. We're almost done. David David doesn't just go and when Nathan proclaims, "This is you. This is what you've done. You're the man." David doesn't just go, yeah, you know, Brother Nathan, I messed up. He doesn't say, hey, Brother Nathan, I made an error. Hey, 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 Nate, like, like I, I just made a mistake. None of those words are in the vocabulary of any translation of the Bible. No, the words that he says is, I have sinned real. And not to just people, but I have sinned before the Lord. That one sentence, that sentence right there was true, real, honest repentance. It doesn't have to be elaborate prayer, this thing that you just constantly have to just say over and over again. But here's the deal. When we fall, we can't go to God and be like, I made a mistake. Oh, I made an error. No, you know what's awesome and what stirs faith in people is when we go before a loving God and we say, God, I have sinned before you and before man. And what happens this I get a response that says, yes, but. Just like Nathan said, yeah, you did, but <laughs> you're forgiven. See, this, this is how Bible works. This is how Jesus works. Is this encouraging us this morning? Is this making sense? Man, like, like we can't just be like flippant with our lives before the throne of Jesus Christ, okay? This is not something that churches all across America are preaching, but this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how this works. It's the life of a daily repentive heart, a posture turned towards God saying, God, yes, I have sinned, forgive me. And then you say this, Holy Spirit, give me your strength to not go back to that. Repentance is turning and going the other way. Repentance has to be real to stay on the battlefield. Amen? The third thing, to stay on the battlefield. Leave what needs to be left. Leave what needs to be left. So when you pray that prayer, God, the Father in heaven, forgive me. I have sinned. He is washing it clean just like that. What the problem is, though, I thought I almost fell off. As we pray that prayer, and we start walking. And I said this before: you're not fighting the right ba- you're not fighting the battles the right way because you're not sowing the word in your life. And so when the battle starts up again, you're not able to fight the battle because you're not sowing the word out of your mouth to fight the battle that's in front of you. You need to sow the word so you can fight the right battle with the right battle. For you could fight the battles with the right weapon. So 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 this is get- we're gonna get somewhere. Leave what's left behind. The child. Is the consequence. Wisdom fill the gaps. David mourns. He fasts. He says, God, have mercy, please. God does what God does. And David there, and the men come to him and say, your child. David gets up. Puts his clothes on. Washes his face. And walks out the door. And said, what is done is done. What has been forgiven is forgiven. I'm not going to keep going back to that room where he's at. I'm moving forward. Guys, this is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know this doesn't make all the sense, but if we're going to stay on the battlefield, we got to leave the sin that Jesus forgave you. Leave it. Stop walking this way and being like, oh, man, that felt so much better. Let me just go pick it back up. It's going to kill you going to kill you. And some of you in this room are taking hits after hits after hits because you're going back and saying, well, no, you know what? That actually felt so much better than actually walking in a battlefield of faith. So I'll just go back to the comfort blanket, the comfort zone. Comfort, picking up what is dead. You're holding dead things in your hands. Stop holding dead stuff in your hands and start walking towards the battlefield that God has called you to conquer, that God has called you to overcome. Leave what is dead dead and walk in the life of heaven. Does this make sense? And then, you know, we leave it. It's there. We keep walking. The fourth thing that keeps us on the fight is go and fight the battle. Go. The the life of a believer is a life of action. Let me say that again. The life of a believer of Jesus Christ is a life of action. It's not to sit on our seats, say, pastor, feed me. Tell me everything. It's a life of action. Get up out of your seats, go to your house, open up your Bible yourself and read it. I say that in love. It's a life of action. It's a life of showing people love, giving love. This is why I get so frustrated because I'm just tangent here, tangent, just making it a public tangent. This is what hurts me the most is that the world sees such a messed up picture of Christianity because instead of living lives of actions, we're living lives of just sitting on our hands. And then when it it does call us to be in action, we don't know what to do. So when we're faced with a trial, when we're faced with that crazy co-worker, instead of actually knowing that the, the life of a believer is a life of action and we're called to be peacemakers, we lose our minds. And they're like, you claim Jesus because I see your Instagram on Sunday. Go and fight the battles that you were always called to go. I'm wrapping it up with this. I love the Bible because it Ties a bow on this story for me. I'm, a, I'm that kind of guy. I love when stories just, ah, resolution, resolve. It says to David, so David gathered the rest of the army and went to Reba, the same place he was supposed to go to in chapter 11. The battle that he was supposed to go and conquer, the battle that he was supposed to go and, and complete, but he stayed on the balcony, the Lord said to him, now go back. Go, I mean, go and fight the battle that you were always intended to fight. And David went, he fought against it, and it says he captured it. That was an awesome place to say amen. amen. He went back to the battle that he was always intended to fight, and he conquered it in the name of Jesus. You can conquer the battles that are facing you in this life. You can conquer the things that are chasing after you. You can conquer the shame and the guilt. You can conquer the pride and the arrogance. You can conquer the battlefield that God has called you to conquer. Just live a life of saying, God, I need you. I'm broken. I've sinned, I've messed up. But guess what, God, your grace is so good. Your mercy is new every day. Hello. Your mercy is new when? Your mercy is new when? Come on, church, your mercy is new when? Every day, his mercy is brand new. He does not run out, he does not run dry. He's gonna take us to the battlefields of life and we're gonna be victorious in Jesus' name. Come on, church, can we worship him this morning? Can we proclaim the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ? Come on, can we just lift up a shout of praise? Can we thank him for restoration?